Hey y'all, Liz Higgins here, and welcome to the Millennial Life Podcast, where my main goal is to share conversations that will inspire you and drive you toward the life and relationship you desire. I'm here to share what I've learned as a licensed therapist and relationship coach specializing in millennial relationships and wellness, as well as transformative conversations with other professionals. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. Okay, so excited would be a major understatement um, for how I feel about this episode. We're talking about parenting today, and I have a friend and colleague that I've been so lucky to have known for the past few years since uh, budding into my own career as a therapist, Miss Laura Pierce, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist and play therapist. She is absolutely incredible. And y'all, I have to say, if there were a therapist that I wanted to go see for parenting struggles to better my, um, I don't know, just to, to better anything about how I parent and how I work with my husband in our parenting together, it would be her, hands down, 100%. So I wanted to bring Laura on to have a conversation about how parenting has really changed a lot for our generation since we grew up to now us adulting and trying to navigate this wild world of parenting and having so many different methods of discipline and how we want to create a you know, family culture that fits our values and our needs and just how much information there is out there today for parenting and how to be the best parent and how to do parenting right and mommy blogs and daddy blogs and Facebook pages and Instagram accounts. Like it can really, really feel overwhelming to know how you're getting it right and to feel grounded in your parenting method. So this is an awesome conversation because Laura delivers some very helpful and research-based information on what we know about children's brains, their stages of development, what is appropriate for us to explore in our parenting, and how you as a parent can really be this pivotal piece of your child's early life experience and what they learn about relationships. Something that I've come to realize as a couples therapist who works mostly with adults and oftentimes adults who are in relationship and in this therapy room with their partner is how similar some of what I'm trying to help adult couples do with each other, how similar it is to parenting and modern parenting at that, I should say. And what I don't want you to hear there is that in our adult partnerships, we parent. That's actually something I say all the time to couples is you want a partner, not a parent. So there are definitely differences. But as a whole, what I've come to learn and what Laura is going to tell us about today is how incredibly important this relationship we develop to our children from the beginning of their life is for their development and for their emotional maturity and to truly be able to grow up and find their place in this world as a mature, healthy and functioning adult. So I think you're going to love this conversation and I want to hop right into it. Enjoy. 
Hey, everybody. This is Liz. Thanks for listening again today to the podcast. I'm really excited. I'm on here having a conversation with Laura Pierce, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, and an infant mental health specialist, which that just sounds amazing. Hi, Laura. Hi. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks for coming on. When I think about a person who can really talk on the experience of having young children and maybe experiencing behavioral issues or trying to figure out parenting, I'd think of you first and foremost, because you've got such great experience. And I know you do some really wonderful work here in the Dallas community. So I can't thank you enough for for doing this with me. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. I've it's nice to be in good company. I want to start today. Uh, I'm just thinking of your credentials that I talked off just then. And I think it'd be great for listeners to hear a little bit about what play therapy is, because not all therapists are trained in this. And even, even some therapists that actually work with children aren't necessarily registered play therapists. So mm-hmm. what is that? And what does that work look like for you? Sure. That's a good question. So my license in the state of Texas is for marriage and family therapy. And so I tend to focus on working with families with really young children. And so I knew right away, once I learned what a play therapist was, that that's exactly what I was supposed to be. So I worked towards those credentials and have been studying and researching and training in play therapy ever since. So, you know, the idea of being a play therapist is somebody who's really dedicated to understanding what children need in the therapeutic process. Um, it aligns with a lot of other principles in adult, young adult therapy, um, but it's really designed to meet children where they are, um, honor their development, appreciate what they can contribute, appreciate how they experience the world. So uh, it's very specifically titled play therapy because that's what we do. So um, in my office, it's a playroom. It's wall-to-wall toys that are research-based and specific, uh, specifically included in the playroom to allow for different types of expression. So I spend my days with dinosaurs and dress-up clothes and in the kitchen, um, kind of exactly what you think of when you think of a playroom. And so Children join me in the playroom and the process of play therapy is the idea that play is a child's language. Uh, We never teach children how to play. They just know how to do it from the start. Um, And so if play is their language, then toys are their words. And so if we want a child to communicate their innermost self, um, their most important ideas, their experiences with the world, we have to let them do it through play. Uh, and so play therapy is designed around that principle. It's also designed around the idea of uh, unconditional support, um, really appreciating the child, the relationship that I create with a child in the play therapy context is a really important element of progress uh, and the therapeutic value of play therapy. So play therapy is useful for um, children of a lot of ages, once you, um, I would say, once you get about eight years old, you shift a little bit more into activity therapy. Um, cognitively, you're able to have different kinds of conversations that a younger child may not have. Um, so play therapy is really great for three years old and up. 
till about eight or nine, kind of depending on where the child is. It's not uncommon for me to treat a younger child than three. I know not all play therapists may do that, but I've done that before and I'll do it again. Um, That's amazing because you're talking like pre-language in some cases. Exactly. Um, And that's, that's fine for me because the way I understand and conceptualize children is I really don't need them to say a single word in the playroom for the experience to be valuable. So um, the way they play, the way they interact, the consistency that they have, the patterns they put together, the themes they show me and what they're playing and how they're interacting are all important. Uh, a huge element for me over the years um, of how play therapy has been really impactful for families is that I choose to really integrate the parents into the work. So that's parents, that's caregivers, that's people responsible for these children. And so I meet with a child weekly, typically. Um, and then I ask for those parents and caregivers to join me in an adults only parent conversation once a month. So they're really tied into the progress. They're tied into what am I learning about their child? And then I, which is the neatest part is, and I am able to then share with these parents elements about their child that I'm learning through the therapy process. So they then can experience their child in a different way, respond to them in a different way, um, be with them in a different way that allows for progress to continue at home. So I very much value the participation of parents in the play therapy process. So it's part of my structure. It's part of my expectations. Um, and honestly, I do that because based on my years of experience, it tells me that's the thing that actually, you know, helps children the most, or it can be. So I really include parents as much as possible in the education process, um, when it comes to play therapy. Well, that it makes so much sense. Everything you're saying there about integrating the family system into the therapy process. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's a valid comparison, but it truly makes me think of even adult therapy, like how different that experience can be when you're working with, you know, a, a single adult in 18 or in their 20s or something. And when you bring in their partner, for example, or when mm. you bring in their parents, it really, you're really able to get into the systemic change as we call it in mm-hmm. our field. And so it sounds like that's something that you have found really pushes that work and growth forward. Yeah. Cause exactly. I'm wondering too, um, Laura, like what might be some of the reasons parents would want children that are this young to be in play therapy? Mm-hmm. That's a yeah, that's a great question. So typically what happens um, is a, a child's behavior lets us know what's going on. So before a child can sit down next to us and say, Wow, I've had a really hard day and I'm really struggling at school, and it, you know, they don't do that for a long time. So before right. that, they show through their behaviors um, needs that aren't met or skills they don't have. And so a lot of times those behaviors are enough to indicate to the caregivers um, something's going on. So it's either my child has changed over the course of time and I'm concerned. Um, Sometimes it's the school has told us that my child's not really adjusting to the classroom appropriately and they've recommended play therapy. 
Sometimes there are indications from a pediatrician's visit where a pediatrician says, you know, let's perhaps meeting with a play therapist will really help. Um, Something like that would come more in a physical symptom. So a lot of stomach aches or a lot of headaches or um, school refusal, things like that, that indicate, okay, something's going on here. Let's try to target this from an emotional standpoint um, in addition to some medical support. So pediatricians that are really in tune with a family um, and have an awareness of how play therapy can be helpful often make referrals to see a play therapist. You know, more and more, I have families that call my office, send me an email. They are friends of families I've already seen or currently seeing. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. those families are in community together, sharing the value of either the parent conversation itself or the actual play therapy, um, enough for that next parent to say, okay, I think, I think this would be really useful for us. Um, on occasion, it feels very preventative, Liz. It's like, okay, I, we don't feel like we're in complete chaos right now, but we're cautious that we might get there. And so let's understand a little bit more about our child so that we can parent our child in a way that leads them to health. Um, so really amazing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So it's, it's, it kind of comes anywhere, but I will say typically it's behavior that this is the first thing I hear on an intake call. My child is crying a lot. My child is hitting. My child is uh, refusing to go to school. My child hates their new sibling, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I also think sometimes when there's a family dynamic change, so when there's an addition of a sibling, if there's a death in the family, uh, if there's a divorce or a separation, parents mm-hmm. are now, um, and I can't speak for parents before necessarily, but I think parents now are really in tune with, okay, let's get ahead of this before we roll into this family change. If it's anticipated, of course, sometimes family changes aren't, um, can we plan for it? And can we prepare our child emotionally to adjust to what's coming? And so on occasion, you know, parents will say, we don't really see a problem yet, but can I meet with you? Can we talk? What do we need to look for um, Mm -hmm. to know that perhaps our child would need therapeutic support? Um, And so more and more parents are recognizing that resources are available um, to them really in a preventative way. Um, I I mean, are these parents typically millennials? Because (laughs) (laughs) yes, typically they are. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I truly do think that is a characteristic that has really just become more and more apparent from my perspective in working with couples and stuff is we get a lot of couples that come in and it's a very preventative stance of there's not necessarily this intense conflict, but we know where we came from and we know we probably got things we should talk about. Like we'd like to set ourselves up for success. And I think when it comes to parenting, there is this stance of let me get prepared for this. Let's learn about this. Let's educate almost to, almost to an extreme, almost to Mm -hmm. where maybe it's too much and it gives us more anxiety. But so you sort of see that happening with couples that come to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is, um, the access to information is huge and that is different than it has been before. Um, but I do think that it's kind of a characteristic of this millennial generation of I I know better, so I'm going to do better. How am I going to do that? 
Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not. Sometimes it's I'm already in chaos. We are already having a hard time. We definitely know our child and our family needs support. But a lot of the time, um, and this is why I've also shifted my practice over the last couple of years on occasion, and maybe more and more as time goes on, I am meeting only with the parents. And so a parent will come to me and say, here's our situation. This is the dynamic of our family. Um, We want to get a handle on how to parent so we are less stressed, so our relationship is less impacted, Mm. um, and so our children you know, have access to a better outcome here. Can you tell us if our child needs play therapy or not? And then a lot of the times my response back is respectfully, no, like we're not there yet. My responsibility to you is to tell you if it's therapeutically important for the child to receive services or not, you know, let's navigate that together. Um, but what we can always do is sit down with dedicated parents, interested, eager parents and just go for it and just talk about parenting topics, talk about family structure, talk about uh, consistency and what they, you know, screen time. And we talk about discipline and we talk about um, language used with children in terms of explaining our expectations for them. And so I've had a lot of parents respond really positively to this parent support idea that says, we are going to try to get it together and get on the same page before we assume our child needs to be the target of the therapy. And recently, because of COVID and everything families are experiencing together, I've had a lot of parents reinitiate contact and ask for a supportive meeting uh, just to navigate. My child seems to be more stressed, my child's more anxious, uh, or I am more anxious as a parent and caregiver. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, and then you're (laughs) confirming that the parents are also (laughs) overly stressed now too, right? (laughs) Precisely. We all are, you know, we're doing the best we can and it is still hard in so many ways that are unexpected. And so I have found that offering parents this support, especially in this unique time, allows them some clarity. So they then get to go back home have peaceful relationships with their children, sort of reground themselves in some of the parenting philosophies that we'd talked about previously, uh, almost like a tune-up or a check-in. Uh, and it, it seems to be really helpful. So I'm glad, you know, in this state to be able to offer something that's actually helpful when so many things feel uncertain and so many things feel out of our hands. The one thing I know that we can at least manage is as parents and caregivers, the relationship we have with our children, despite the circumstances right now. And this holds true despite what's going on in the world. But, you know, despite those circumstances, despite um, what's going on in our outside, our responsibility to children is to manage our relationship with them. So they then learn how to navigate, manage, handle these external circumstances. Uh, And so it's neat to be with parents, coaching them through that. And as a parent myself, learning, you know, my own principles in my own home and our family and seeing how they work uh, and knowing that this is a uniquely difficult time uh, for families. Yeah. And 
maybe because I'm also in the thick of it with such young little children and many people in my community, my social media presence around me are as well. I, I see, and that's an interesting thing about millennials too. We're a little more outspoken, I think generally than, than past generations about the challenges of parenting and the challenges of this time in the world. And it's cool. You know, it's, you feel connected. You feel like, Oh yeah, me too. Preach it. But then also if you, if you let yourself just sit there and like filter through all that too much, it just overwhelms you even more because we're all, we're all struggling right now and it is so hard. Mm -hmm. And what you were talking on, I feel like we're getting towards some really important stuff here about parenting and modern parenting in that, I feel like what you were describing was not helicopter parenting. We Mm -hmm. probably don't want to do that, but lots of us maybe experienced that growing up. Um, I don't know. Can you talk on how parenting styles have kind of progressed and changed over the years and what you see the tendencies for millennial parents to be? Yeah, of course. So some things feel really consistent and some things feel obviously unique to individual family systems over the course of time. The things that feel consistent, um, the older generation, perhaps those that are enjoying grandparenthood and beyond, what they knew then was to parent how they parented. So none of this is to say they did it wrong or they were misinformed. It's really along the way, parents parent with the information that we know. Mm-hmm. And what's incredible about parenting right now is that so many uh, dedicated and responsible and just educated, intelligent people have devoted their time to understanding parenting and children. And from a research perspective, so we have data that helps us understand why these things are important. Uh, And that's all fairly new. And so with new information, we do new things. So back in the day, parenting really was more parent-focused. It was what are the parents' expectations? What does the parent want to happen? What's the structure of the parent setting? Um, And it felt a lot more like, I don't know, fear-based parenting or a lot of compliance. So a lot of, you know, parents saying, do as I say. Um, There wasn't a lot of opportunity for emotional expression. It was very Mm -hmm. focused more on disciplining in order to create a child who behaved in a way that the parent desired. So it sounds pretty intense. Um, They're not all, of course, it's not all like that, but that was sort of the the general idea was uh, do as I say, and here's my structure and here's how you are in our family. Right. And Um, I think you say something really important there that, which by the way, I feel like you are saying this stuff in a very non-judgmental and professional way. But these things that you are describing in the way parenting maybe was in the past doesn't mean that it went without love. Like we all know, and I think that needs to be acknowledged that oftentimes these things came from a deep place of love and wanting the best for children. But it's like you're saying, we, we do what we do with the tools and the knowledge that we have. And we just know science Mm -hmm. tells us how much more information we have today about the brain and things I'm sure you're going to tell us about, but yeah, exactly. I, I hear you on that. Cause I think, I think even for millennial adults, they have a hard time acknowledging this was the way I was parented, but my 
family was great. Like we came from an awesome, like, you know, everybody was like, but it's like, okay, well, we're not trying to point out the big bad wolf. We're just looking at the system and the culture of parenting that you came from and how that impacted you. You're exactly right. And so a lot of, most of the parenting comes from, here's my responsibility to these people that I desperately love. What's Mm -hmm. the best thing I can do for them? And so for a long time, instinct and tradition is what guided parenting. And it's not that, again, it's not that it was wrong. Um, And it's not that it created people who are extremely unhealthy. In some cases, of course, it created a lot of dysfunction and perhaps opportunities where there's not a lot of health. But on the other hand, there's a lot of really healthy families who are connected and love one another and um, have attachment that's appropriate. And, And so it doesn't mean that this style of parenting came from ignorance. I would say exactly what you said. Rather, it comes from devotion and love. And so now, how do we, with that same idea, parent with devotion and love and some additional information that can help integrate? So I think it shifted from a parent-focused parenting. So I'm. this is all the parent knows, so here we go. And it's not to say that a lot of what they we're doing um, isn't similar to what might be suggested to do now in the same way that you mentioned helicopter parenting. So it's kind of a common phrase. Mm-hmm. Parenting really shifted that direction away from a parent focused parenting to total child focused parenting, which was, I'm going to give my child exactly what they need when they need it. I'm going to fix my child's problems. I'm going to be integrated in their life and, Um, basically do their life for them so they don't experience difficulty. Mm -hmm. And that then, again, parenting out of devotion and love. I want my child to feel happy. I want my child to to not get a bad grade. I want, you know, all these things. So the intention on target, uh, the strategy and the skill misses some opportunities to help create a really healthy child. And so, and just like parent-focused parenting, some of the skills and strategies and what helicopter parenting, quote unquote, looks like persists now, feels the same, but the reason a parent might parent that way is rooted with different information. And that's what I think is really helpful. So what, what kind of parenting I coach about, believe in, is a combination of everything, you know, we have to consider that the parents, uh, yes, the parent is responsible for these children. We also want to consider, yes, this child has feelings and is experiencing life. So how do we sort of put that together? I think a lot of millennial parents would say, Liz, what you said, which is either I had a great family growing up, but I'm not sure I want to parent that way exactly. Or it's, I did not like the way I was parented and have had to make up for it along the way. Uh And so in some ways we're recognizing, okay, I'm not exactly sure I want the total parent fear-based parenting extreme. I definitely don't want the helicopter parent extreme. So what's the option? And the research, my experience, other people's, other professional experiences tell us that Really, the healthiest approach to parenting is a relationship-focused parenting. 
So we're valuing the parent and we're valuing the child in our parenting interactions. Ooh, you gotta, you gotta say more about what that looks like. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, if we go back and look at the family systems that feel healthy and adjusted and appropriate, regardless of parenting style. So whether it's that parent focused, more stern, or it's the helicopter, more permissive, you know, of course those are extremes, but you know, Mm -hmm. you get my point. The family systems and the adults that came out of those systems that we would regard as healthy and adjusted and aware had relationship, had healthy, appropriate relationship, connected relationship with the parents and the caregivers in that system, despite the style. So what we know now is if that relationship is so important perhaps we use that relationship as the foundation of our parenting. So when we parent, when we interact with, honestly, children in general, whether they're ours or not, honoring that the relationship is the foundation for how they learn, how they grow, how they change, um, then we interact and use the skills and strategies that we learn about in these parent conversations. So the principle is relationship-based parenting is crucial. How you do that is a learning process. Mm. And so it, it really parallels to the therapy process. So there are many skills and strategies and philosophies about therapy, uh, specifically with children. If I don't have a connected relationship with the child in my playroom, I should not expect that that child makes progress. So my, my very first priority and everything that I do and say and how I interact with the child from the waiting room to the playroom and back to the waiting room has my relationship with this child in mind. So that directs what I say, what I do, how I interact, what I don't mm-hmm. do, what I don't say. Um, because I'm protecting the relationship at all costs. Well, right. And and I guess this gets into, you have to define what is a healthy relationship mm-hmm. because I can see how some people listening might be feeling confused in this moment on, you know, I felt like I had a relationship with my father, but he also beat me or, you know, whichever one of those extremes we're we're reflecting on the parenting Mm -hmm. model, the disciplinary action doesn't align with what you and I would see as like a healthy sense of relationship today. So is that something that you walk through with parents? Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of times it's important to talk about um, an adult's relationship with their own caregivers, with their own kind of identified parent to understand a little bit more about what is their perception of healthy. And um, it's not enough to just say, hey, have a healthy relationship with your kids. It's so much more dynamic than that. And so healthy relationship is not permissive parenting. It's not um, fear-based parenting, but it is respectful parenting. So essentially it's as the parent being responsible to the relationship with your child. So the decisions you make about how you interact and what you say honors that relationship. For example, and this is kind of a silly example, but we'll use it. Um, If you are already home and you're in the kitchen and you're making dinner, your partner comes home 
slams the door, throws their bag on the table, sighs, kicks their shoes off, and you turn to your partner and say, excuse me, that is not how we walk in the door. I don't know about your house, Liz, (laughs) but that would not go over very well in mine on either end. So when we have the relationship in mind and our priority is to manage the relationship, that same partner walks in, that same partner throws those same, that same bag and those same shoes. And we turn to them and say, okay, you had a terrible day. Is there anything I can do to help? That doesn't that mean we drastically different. Yes. Yeah, it sure <laughs> is. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't mean we swiftly pick up their things and, you know, don't say a word and walk on eggshells. We're honoring it. We're saying, okay, bad day. Here it is. Um, can I be helpful? And if not, maybe I need to stay out of your way. Um, but the approach we make on the onset sets the stage for how this unfolds. So if we then target our partner's behavior and say, pick up your bag. I can't believe you threw the shoes. I just cleaned the floor and now you made it dirty and all that nonsense. Then that person becomes more defensive and probably Mm -hmm. more, more irritated and all these things we know about grown up relationship dynamics, right? So think that a lot of probably your clients and families that come see you are navigating as adult to adult. So when we think about a child in that perspective, imagine an eight-year-old comes home from school, opens the door, throws down their backpack, kicks their shoes off, sighs, sits down at the table and puts their head down. Okay, if our relationship is at the forefront of what we're trying to foster here, we do not zoom to target their behavior and say, excuse me, that is not how we walk into the house after school. Um, we say, wow, I can tell you had a really bad day. And then based on the child, that's how you interact. So if this is a child who now needs a hug, go for it. If this is a child who you just don't approach, then you stay away. If, if this is a child who needs a big glass of water or perhaps a cookie, go for it. You know, you end up knowing your child because you have relationships. So therefore you are motivated about how to interact with that child. But what we do and the skill and the strategy that we choose to use is because we're choosing to be connected and loving towards that person. An infant is another same kind of example. You know, if an infant is crying and we understand they're in pain, we're picking them up. Our instinct is to pick them up, hold them, um, rock them, see if they need to eat, see if they need to be changed, check on their needs. Are they being met? What's going on? Um, and then from there, that connection helps that child understand this person is in tune with me. This person is aware of my needs. Um, and that child then realizes, okay, I can continue to bid for help basically. Right. And this, I know that I'm safe. This is, this is a secure relationship where I can ask for my needs to be met, even if it's in the most, you know, chaotic, nonverbal reactive way. Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think over the course of time, parents tend to uh, get information from somewhere, whether it's, you know, friends, family, tradition, history, their own instinct. The information tells them, okay, now start teaching your kid. You know, now we don't listen to crying anymore. Now we expect the child to do it themselves. So we, it's at some point we shift away from instinctual approach. Child is crying. A infant, we pick them up. A four-year-old starts crying. Sometimes it is nothing is wrong. Why are you crying? What is going on? What are you worried about? Please pick up your shoes. Let's get in the car. I don't have time for this. Um, and again, extreme. But the idea is somewhere along the way, the adults lose the instinctual compassion for a child. Or mm-hmm. they tend to. Not always. And so part of my approach to parents is let's keep that. Let's keep instinctual compassion towards our children in an effort to value our relationship. Uh, That does not mean a child says, I don't want to go to school. I feel really sad. And we say, okay, let's just be sad all day. You know, a healthy relationship has boundaries. The same goes for parents and children. Um, children need parents to set limits. Um, and that is the most loving thing. A lot of the time that we can do for really young children who are still learning how to be in this world, they need limits, they need boundaries, they need guidelines. So therefore the most loving thing that we as parents and caregivers can do is set those. So it's healthy relationship of, we could, I don't know how long you have me for, but I could go on that for days. (laughs) So I'm sure. I hope that answered your question a little bit. Oh my gosh, it did. And I have to tell you, I'm, I am seriously sitting here feeling this, like I'm feeling Mm -hmm. what you just said, especially that piece of losing the instinctual compassion. Is that, is that how you said it? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, I've had those very moments. I've never heard those words spoken, obviously haven't been your client before, but I'm like, (laughs) all right, this is insightful to hear because I definitely feel when my children were infants, more of that instinctive, like I, I could just feel something was happening and I needed to attend to them or whatever. But like now my three, almost three and a half year old, you know, she's doing that deal where, you know, we got to go somewhere and she wants to get in through the front of the car. And then she wants to dilly dally and honk the horn yep. and pretend like she's driving before I get the car started. And I'm just, I lose my shit. I'm like, get into the car seat. And I just, I hate myself in those moments, but I'm also in some ways, much more self-aware than I probably would be in life if I were not a therapist. (laughs) Sure. And I can, I sense that it's like, okay, I just had a whoosh moment. I lost my compassion for this child. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, it's just, you're connecting some dots here. And I think Mm -hmm. parents listening who have kids, especially toddler age, where some of those challenging behaviors that we just don't understand as adults or we look at and we don't know what's happening or what set that off can feel so hard and we can lose our we can lose our our steam really fast in those Ab- situations. Absolutely. And you're human. So yes, mm-hmm. you also have emotional reaction to the world. You also have 
uh, you know, instinct, you have feelings that are leading your behaviors, just like these kids are. And so your responsibility as a parent, all parents responsibility is to offer yourself compassion, offer yourself a chance for regulation so that then you can offer it to your children. Um, one of the first things I heard in grad school about working with kids and parents, it says it's just like a flight attendant. You know, if those of us that remember being on a plane anytime soon, um, will say, uh, is put your mask on before you help a child or anybody around you. And growing up, I always thought that is so ridiculous. Of course I'm going to help everybody else. Right. Um, (laughs) and then it wasn't until this graduate class where I thought, of course, if I can't breathe, I'm not helping anybody. And so that, that metaphor persists in parenting. If you don't offer yourself compassion, if you don't offer yourself regulation, moments of grace, a break, there's no way you offer that to your children. Um, at least not authentically. And so, yes, I, the, the, the style of parenting that I align with is informative and useful and makes a lot of sense. And then life <laughs> happens. And then oh. being human. <laughs> yeah. So add, here, adding, yeah. Adding in yeah. that space to give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling you're probably going to talk about how it's, it's okay letting ourselves fail and have those moments. But remembering that the repair is the more important piece. It really is. And so when we model... Um, okay, I felt really upset because it was hard for you to get in your car seat as quickly as I asked. And I shouted. Um, and I felt upset the entire car ride on the way to school. I am sorry I shouted at you. I wish I wouldn't have, but I really didn't have a lot of patience in my body in that moment. That was hard for me. So being honest with our kids about how we feel, the experiences we're having... Um, is useful. That's contributing to the healthy relationship. What Mm -hmm. doesn't contribute to a healthy relationship is a shame-based approach, which would sound a little bit more like you made me so angry because you wouldn't get in your car seat. So you decided that essentially I would be grumpy the entire way to school. You need to do better. Mm -hmm. So a healthy relationship with our children allows for human Um, and also teaches them based on how you handle things, how might you hope they handle things? Um, and that is really a lot of when we use certain skills and strategies in parenting, we're setting the stage so that they then can use those skills and strategies for themselves. This is just an insight that I'm having as you're talking, it's, it's almost that I do work with adults who oftentimes are having to go inward and really heal that wounded child in there that at a very young age took on responsibility for their parents' emotions or happiness or whatever. And now that I have 
little children of my own, I really see it's, it's, I'm trying to make sure I don't make that become pressure that I put on myself to be perfect, but it makes me aware of how, how important these early life interactions really are for them and what's going on in their psyche Mm -hmm. and the narrative that they begin to have about me and the world and themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's just an interesting um, insight to share Mm -hmm. because this really is such an important time. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that too about people who have awareness mm-hmm. that they were shaped by our early ex- by their early experiences and some of those things caused them distress or pain. So they're trying to navigate that and work that out. So research across the board will really tell us that, you know, and I think you've even said it in one of your first podcasts about um, relationships in general. We know that that is what impacts, you know, the, the quality of our relationship. And I won't say it the same way you did, but I think it's probably the same idea. The quality of our relationships impacts our happiness, our mental health, our physical health, our mm-hmm. degree of success. Mm-hmm. So if as adults, our adult to adult relationship is, you know, statistically one of the most important things that contributes to our well being. We have to consider that these adult relationships start based on how we had early relationships. Right. So when you choose to parent in a relationship-focused way, you are choosing uh, for your child to have a foundation for happiness, physical health, mental health, success. Mm-hmm. Um, we know all research, we can talk about it all day shows us that. So how we are, how well we are attached to an early caregiver matters in our later life. And so, you know, they even have studies about it's tied to how much money you earn and, you know, whether or not you're hospitalized and it just so many things we think may be, um, unrelated, <laughs> really Mm -hmm. tie back to our capacity to be in this world. And we can do that based on how we were approached in the relationships we have when we were young. Now, parents listening, I'm sure that feels aggressively overwhelming. Um, and it can feel like a ton of responsibility and it is, I mean, it, it is overwhelming and it is a sense of responsibility. Here's the joy. There are ways to do it. Um, This is not a concept that I explain to parents and then say, okay, and good luck, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, I hope you figure this out, you know, or, or this will be a problem. Right. And so after that, once we talk with one another about the principle, the foundation, the philosophy of a relationship focused parenting Then we get into, okay, well, my kid doesn't brush his teeth and this kid, this, and my kid hates homework. And how do we do bedtime? And, you know, Mm -hmm. so then we get into it. What is life? What does it look like day to day? And how do you then approach these children with this philosophy in mind? What on earth does this sound like? And, you know, something that all parents want and hope for is a sense of cooperation (laughs) from our children. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's not about commanding. It's really about asking for cooperation. And so we know that a child's level of cooperation is very often related um, to the degree with which the child feels connected 
to the caregiver, the parent. So if our connection, our relationship is strong, cooperation is more likely. Um, the ease with which our day can go, um, the limits we set are more likely to be followed. If our relationship is strained or tense or non-existent, cooperation is really difficult. So if you can put that together, guess what? Then when a child's not cooperative, a parent is more upset. So a parent who doesn't have connection with their child then maybe yells more or, you know, in an extreme becomes physically abusive or mentally or Mm -hmm. neglectful or all those kind of patterns that are really scary to think about. Um, happen because the relationship isn't really there in a healthy or appropriate way. So um, right. I think it's important to consider that, yes, this philosophy is really important to buy into, but we could talk a long time about what does it look like? What does it sound like? What do you say? <laughs> what do you do? Um, because that inaction is how you honor your dedication to this philosophy. So it's not enough just to believe that this is a good idea. It's what does it look like day to day when your child's in the front seat honking the horn and (laughs) wanting to drive the car? Right. Well, and I'm just thinking that's where the, for people listening, for parents that are like, okay, get into the details. I want to hear all the secrets and the things I can say, but that's where I feel it probably becomes beneficial to work with somebody like you who can really get into the unique Mm storyline of their world and their family life and all those dynamics to really get to the heart of, you know, what do we need to look at here? Is it more about parents taking care of themselves a little better so that they can meet their children in these conversations in healthier ways? Or do we really need to get the child into play therapy or whatever? Mm -hmm. So, because I, yeah. I agree. I'm like, we could probably talk for three hours about yeah. you and I for sure. Laura's could. tips and tricks and <laughs> Laura's 10 scripts to use with yep. your toddler. Yeah. But I think something really important that I want to ask you about as I'm being mindful of our, our time um, is the brain, because you've been talking on some really important themes here in this idea of relationship focused parenting. It just seems to get to the heart of values and how you really want to show up and the kinds of relationships you want to foster with your children and in your family life. But I feel like it's so important to talk a little about what we now know about the brain and like you were saying earlier, emotional regulation and children's development. And why is that important for parents to maybe learn about? Mm-hmm. Very important. And the reason that I will spend time on explaining the brain development and the same reason that I spent a lot of our time talking about the foundation of this idea Mm -hmm. is that without the core understanding of why certain skills, strategies, scripts, tips work, then the skill, strategy, tip, script won't work. (laughs) So I'll make that clear. If you just read an article you find on Facebook that says five things to say to an anxious kid, sure, it may be helpful in the moment, but if you don't have a foundation for why those things are helpful to the child, if that's not integrated into your belief about parenting and children, your kids are going to know on some level, they will be aware that it's not genuine or it's not 
totally integrated into what you believe. It's just something you read online. So um, yeah, I'm smiling because I'm like, I mean, my three-year-old, her BS meter is insane. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. And my own three-year-old, Liz and I, you know, we have children the same age, so mm-hmm. it's fun to, to be in this together. Um, right. <laughs> yes, but it is. And it's, uh, they know because five things you can say to an anxious kid. Okay, great. Well, if you don't have the intention, you don't have the tone, you don't have the body language. If you don't mean it, it is nothing. Same with our partners. I mean, you know, that same person walks in the door and we say, Oh, bad day, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's not, that's not very loving. (laughs) But if somebody said, okay, what you're supposed to say is, you know, notice they had a bad day. Okay. I'm going to do that this time. So they come in and have that moment where they walk in the door and we say, Oh, bad day. Okay. That's not how it goes, but with the core, you know, understanding of the intention, then the skill and the strategy develops. So that is really why I do spend quite a bit of time talking about the foundation because it will lead you to say all kinds of things that we don't cover in my office. It will lead you to say all kinds of loving, appropriate, um, well put together, meaningful responses that I would have not been able to offer you if you were just writing down, you know, 10 things to say to a kid who's having a tantrum. So I'll Mm -hmm. say that. And now I'll move on to the 10 things you say to a kid who's having, not just kidding. Um, (laughs) Great. great, Let's do it. Uh, Regarding the brain. It is so important. We've learned so much about kids and um, how they're developing and why our interactions impact that brain development. So when a baby's born, you know, their brain is only 25%, you know, the weight of that of an adult over the course of the next like 18 months, that brain changes drastically, dramatically. In fact, um, producing billions and billions of new cells, so many new connections, um, all these different connections between those cells, which then informs the child how to be. Um, a child's brain is hardwired to be creative and inquisitive and curious um, to explore. Here's where I'll take a pause and say that is also why play is essential for a child's development. When Makes we mm-hmm. let children play, when we play with children, we are honoring that where their brain is, is creative, inquisitive. It is, you know, exploring, it's learning. And so if their natural position is to play with this um, motivator, you know, inside their head, then that's what we need to let them do. They need to learn through those experiences. Um, And the best way they learn is through trial and error. So we could say things to a three-year-old all day long about how to be, but when they experience how to be, they learn so much more and therefore more connections in their brain are made and they use those connections to inform them for the next time. So the best way, figuring out the best way to deal with misbehavior can be really difficult. Um, You know, a lot of times parents then feel stressed because things aren't going the way they thought. When our children are really young um, and we're not understanding kind of what's going on, because I'll say that there are more times than not, I don't have a clue what is generating this misbehavior, but I know that it's there. 
Right. Um, parents can, without the skill, shift more towards a shame-based discipline as a way to try to motivate their child to be different. Yeah. So, or I think even just, it's like the reactivity can be contagious if you're not actively working on that relational piece and being, um, you know, present in your parenting, like the, their emotional overload or whatever can just pull, push you into that if you let it. It absolutely can. And sometimes it does and that's okay. And right. again, exactly what you said before, what you do after what you've already done mm-hmm. is a really important piece in parenting. Um, so we know that if without the skill and strategy, a parent may be more likely to stay stressed and therefore parent in a stressful manner. And so what that does to a child's brain that's developing is initiate a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone in our brain. And a lot of cortisol in a baby's brain that is developing uh, makes an impact. And so it helps then the child learn what is this world? What should I expect? Um, Oppositely, when we can engage in a different way, we create connections in a child's brain that tells them your world is safe, your world is predictable, your world is organized for you, and it's responsive and it's loving. And so when those connections in a child's brain are made, that's how they approach the world um, mm-hmm. with less anxiety, with less stress, um, with less challenge, I guess you could say in some ways. You know, there are things that are going to happen for a child and for people regardless of this parenting relationship, right? So if we can at least account for this, then we have prepared them and their brain to approach whatever else comes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. So it, it doesn't always mean that, okay, I interacted with my child patiently and calmly. So the next time they do the same thing we just approached, that they'll automatically be different. In fact, let me know if that happens. I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to know. It's yeah. something that happens over the course of time. So over the course of time, when these connections are made in the child's brain, um, they are reinforced through repeated use. So um, when a child learns to expect that a parent will care how they feel or honor that they're in pain, those connections are the ones that become the strongest and those connections are the ones that are used the most. Connections that aren't used fade away uh, in the brain. And so that's the natural process called pruning. And so if you don't, exactly like if you learned a skill when you were young and you just don't have it anymore because you haven't played Mm -hmm. the piano in a hundred years, right? So you just don't really remember how to play. So that being said, a child's environment and their experiences really shape what circuits in the brain are used the most, therefore shape what circuits in the brain become the strongest. And that's such a gift we can give our kids. I was going to say, yeah, even for parents that that are listening, I think that can, I hope that's heard as the hope in all this too, because some people might be listening that have kids that are a little bit older and they're like, oh my God, I've been doing some things wrong and I've been letting my my emotion, my reactivity got the best of me. And, and you have to be careful not to, you know, parent shame yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think the whole brain's, uh, everything about the brain and how adaptive it is and what we know about its plasticity 
is that we can change the way we're doing things and you can go forward in a different direction and that leaves a healthy, positive mark. Absolutely. And I, please hear the hope. Please hear the encouragement in this kind of conversation, which is listen to everything we know about what is so amazing about children and let's use it. Let's use the fact that their brain isn't really finished until 24, 25, 26 years old. So mm-hmm. anytime you intercept their brain development with new approach, you are offering them a gift. And then when you do it again and again and again, you build and build and build. And they have a chance to, like we talked about earlier, prune away what they formerly believed about relationship and people in the world. And um it's just so incredible to watch when families in my office and families that I work with are truly dedicated to shifting and understanding one another and making some change, how impactful that really is. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's neat because, you know, it doesn't all come down to the brain, but it's a large part of it, you know, early experiences um, and the degree to which parents, caregivers, people in their life are, responsive to all of their needs, physical, emotional, and otherwise, that has a a significant impact on the way the brain develops. So again, that's super hopeful and encouraging. And it's also feels very big and responsible. This goes for teachers too. And you know, the, the other adults that kids in our life interact with every day, I think it's really neat. Now I've seen a huge shift in educators focusing more on social, emotional health Um, and integrating that into the classroom than maybe before. So in the same way that trends might be shifting for parents, um, they're also shifting in our educational systems. And so teachers who have access to our children all day are Mm -hmm. honoring the importance of relationship over the importance of performance or the importance of compliance. Um, That's great. Yeah. it's, It's really important to look for if you are, you know, on it's fall. So that's, you know, school admissions time. And how do we ask the right questions of the adults that interact with our children? You know, we want as much as possible for it to be integrated, which I'll also say is another important um, aspect of this idea is that in isolation, this can be really tough because the parenting doesn't sound efficient. (laughs) The parenting doesn't sound effective um, out of the context of the bigger picture. So if you are, you know, out on the playground and you're with a bunch of different families and um, other parents are parenting in more kind of a traditional stern way or um, just whatever way they're choosing to parent and you are choosing to parent um, in a consistent way that you have been at home and, and for months, what it sounds like coming out can seem permissive or it can seem minimizing to the situation. And so I encourage parents to stay strong in what you know and what you believe about what's best for your family, but also engage in conversations with one another about parenting. And Liz, this is something you mentioned earlier. We, as you know, the millennial generation, more likely to engage with parents and say things like, okay, I had a really tough day with my toddler or my teenager's into this. What about yours? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we Mm -hmm. are more likely to be open and accepting 
um, curious with one another, loving towards one another about what's going on in our parenting life. Um, whereas before it almost, I could sense that the stories I hear from older parents or current grandparents was like, well, we just don't want anybody to know our business. And right. to that, I say, it's everybody's business, how these kids are raised and how, um, how children are is everybody's business. I mean, this, because they become our world, they become our adults, they become our politicians, they become our doctors, they become our teachers. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important to use community to talk with one another about these things. Um, and so that's why I always kind of delight in a referral from a former family and they come in and say, okay, well, I watched how so-and-so parented and I'm ready for it, you know, and they seen it in action or it was really neat. Yeah, it is really neat. Um, I will also say regarding community, just something to be on pause about for those listening is that we have a significant access to information. And Liz, you touched on this earlier, maybe too much about Mm -hmm. parenting. And so there's Instagram accounts, there's Facebook groups, there's all kinds of different things that offer support. And they're specific too. I mean, it's like how to get your 17 month old to sleep, mom's group, parent group, how to blah, blah, blah. And so there's a Facebook group for every single parent. Whoa, you could Mm -hmm. ever deal. Like I Mm -hmm. had to turn that stuff off when my Mm -hmm. children were babies (laughs) because I was just going into a dark mental headspace of, oh my God, I'm never going to get this right. And I I just had to stop because it was taking me down this spiral that became slightly obsessive. And Mm -hmm. so it's just the, the pros and cons of having that kind of access in our world today. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, our instinct is to get it right. Well, my, one of my very best friends told me right when I had our first baby is that I hope you hear this. There are lots of right ways to be a good parent. And I have never forgot that because it made a difference. And I've mm-hmm. told that to countless number of parents who've stepped mm-hmm. into my office. There are a lot of ways to do this correctly. There are a lot of ways to be loving and supportive and kind and compassionate and, and structured and consistent and all of these different things. And um, that depends on you, your personality, the dynamics of your relationship, the dynamics of your family. Um, so there isn't, this is not black and white, which is what sometimes makes these ideas really difficult because what, you know, people sometimes want is a script. We want an ideal. We want, how do I do this correctly? And so what I tell parents is if you, again, buy into the general philosophy that your relationship is crucial, what you do after that, and if it matches, you're right on track. It doesn't, it's not going to sound the same every day. It's not going to sound the same in every situation. You're going to mess up. You're going to lose your temper. And yeah, yes, all of that. And at the end of the day, if the relationship is core, then the things you choose to do because of that belief lead you to a connected child parent relationship. Um, and I think that's really what's most important because last time I checked, there are 50,000 plus parenting books on Amazon. (laughs) 
So oh, man, that's overwhelming. Yeah. My suggestion sure to you. You probably got your batch of, you know, top five books you would suggest. Maybe I can even get that from you and put it into our show notes for people that are listening and are like, you know what, I wanna, I wanna start grasping this information. I wanna start looking at maybe a shift in my parenting. Because there really are some great ones, but you're right. If you don't know what to look for, it's just incredibly overwhelming. It's too much. It really is. And I, yes, I'm more than happy to share with you kind of my go-to books. On There are a lot of really good ones, ones that are really informative and easy to read and feel uh, easy to, or at least comfortable to attempt some of the information. I tell parents a lot of times, you know, there are so many options for parenting books. I'll tell you this. I've read them all. <laughs> so let me prune yes. through, <laughs> get Trust through. the expert. Exactly. <laughs> so in an effort to learn and to research and to see what works and what I could then give parents, I've read a lot of these books that are um, commonly resourced or commonly recommended because parents come into my office and they say, okay, well, I've been reading XYZ book about parenting that then tells me, okay, this is where we are. This is the, this is the foundation we are either working against or the foundation that we are embracing and encouraging. And yeah. so I ha- I've, I've done the readings I'm not all 50,000, you know, even though I've probably purchased that many and they're sitting on a bookshelf waiting <laughs> to be read. Um, and so some of it is let the professional who has absorbed this information as their career sort through um, what you need. And just like we do with kids and just like I do in therapy, my relationship with these parents tells me what they need. So that's what I then offer. Mm-hmm. So every every parent meeting is not the same between one parent to their next meeting and not the same from one parent to a different parent meeting because mm-hmm. nobody's life is the same. Nobody's um, situation is the same. Nobody's children are the same. And so those conversations flex, but some of the principles are the same, but how they're executed are different based on your family. Um, Sounds a lot like navigating the world of parenting. You know, every day is a different experience. Some days are full of discovery and joy and connection and other days are navigating the hard moments and Mm -hmm. and the pain and and just the the grief of it all. So I love what you're saying there. And I think some of the themes we talk about, we've talked about today may feel intangible for listeners, but you, I think are clearly pointing out that there, there is a way to take action in creating a really solid parenting style that fits Mm -hmm. your family's needs, your personal needs. And I mean, gosh, ultimately can be a piece of changing the world, creating a better world. It really is. And, you know, if this conversation speaks to you, if, um, these ideas feel important and they feel, uh, you know, aligned with how you and your partner, whoever's raising your kids with you, um, want to do things and you are waiting for the how to, um, I am available Liz to do part two and we will talk about, okay, now that you have, if you were interested enough in the initial conversation, 
let's do it. What does discipline look like? How do we create structure? Um, What does it look like to set a limit? How do we help our children make choices? What does it look like to fail? And why is that important? So getting more into the um, how to part, um, Mm -hmm. if you're up Mm -hmm. for it, you know, we'll, we'll part to it and go for that for people who want an extended conversation. Oh, I think that would be so awesome. I I don't know about people listening, but right now I'm just like, I feel enlightened. (laughs) You've shared some really great things. And even for me, you know, having come from a similar degree though, you know, not, not focused on kiddos, this has just been really, um, just really affirming and, and important to hear. And I feel inspired to keep digging into my own parenting and exploring who I am in that relationship and how I want to be. And I think this is such a great conversation that we've had. And I just thank you so much, Laura. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Sure. So I am in private practice in Dallas. And so if you're anywhere in Texas, we can have conversations via telehealth. If you're in Dallas, we can hang out in my office. Um, my practice is called Insights Collaborative Therapy Group. Um, can be found at insightstherapy.com. Um, another way you can support your kids, find out more about me, I wrote a children's book called Little Worm, A Story About Worry. So it's a sweet story. It's not very clinical, um, but it's a simple story for families to read together to honor feelings of worry and fear. And in the back, there's a note to caregivers. So it's a longer, detailed, you know, things you might say to acknowledge worry, ways you can support children who feel worried. So that note to caregivers is kind of that uh, small piece of how-to, if that's something that is important to your family. Um, so you it. can you can find that book. You can use that in your, in your parenting. And yeah, I a lot of what I can do in my practice, I t- told someone the other day that Millennials specifically are totally bought into premarital counseling. Like it's just something Mm -hmm. that's sort of expected that we do. And for a good reason, it's really important. My goal and my hope is that the next wave of interest is pre-parent counseling. So um, I'm trained trained in a program from the Gottman Institute um, for those that are therapy minded called Bringing Baby Home. And so it's Mm -hmm. a it's a specific training about preparing parents, pre-parents for parenthood, preparing your relationship, preparing each other, preparing, you know, how to play with an infant, how to, you know, everything that kind of you're thinking, okay, what might I need to know? Um, We can do that in an individualized conversation. So um, it's really flexible in the way that parents approach me and ask for support, uh, different levels of their life, different stages, um, different dynamics in their family. And so my, um, the website is really the best place to find me. Um, and And I'll put a link to all that in the show notes too, as well as a link to your book on Amazon. So people can just click and purchase because I think it's a great tool to have and start using with little ones. Yeah. Oh Thanks. man, Laura, thank you so much. This has been such a blast and you definitely did it to yourself by um, suggesting part two. I have a feeling <laughs> we will need to make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you like the show, leave us five stars or write a review. 
If you're interested in learning more, sign up for my free ebook, The One Barrier to Commitment All Millennials Face at millennialrelationships.com. 